Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Ryan Stacy, the Technical Director of International Barrels, a company dedicated to creating high-end precision rifle barrels, and he's also a highly decorated marksman. We will talk about precision in both competitive marksmanship and business, as well as some insider secrets to succeeding in both. Travis Bader here at the Silver Core Studios, and I'm sitting down with a competitive service rifle and precision rifle shooter since 1994. He's one of only seven people inducted into the DCRA Service Rifle Conditions Hall of Fame. He's won five national championships. He's been involved in the firearms industry for over 20 years, currently working for IBI Barrels based out of Chilliwack. They're makers of high-end custom precision rifle barrels. Welcome to the show, Ryan Stacy. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's quite the intro. <laughs> it's weird when you hear all that and it's somebody else saying it. You know, the hard part for me on this one was culling it down because there's a lot of other things that I could have talked about. I suppose, yeah. So like, first off, like, thank you very much for coming here, lending some of your time of course. to talk about guns, talk about what you're currently doing with IBI Barrels. Yeah, I love it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you to become involved in the firearms industry? I guess in reality, it probably started with my dad, who was in the military way back in the 70s. And one of the favorite things uh, for him to do was to take his boys shooting uh, at the regimental shooting range, which is in the basement of the uh, British Columbia Regiment uh, right downtown on Beatty Street. Right. So we would go there every now and again and uh, do some shooting. And that really kind of hooked us, me in particular, I guess, because the other the other guys are hunters and they enjoy that kind of thing too. But they never really taken it the same direction that I have. So yeah, I mean, that was kind of the hook for us, um, for me at least anyway. And then uh, in 1995, I joined the Army. Right. And uh, within a year, I was shooting on the on the brigade team. And that took me all over the place. Uh, in the 23 years I was in the Army, I was in England, Australia, uh, Arkansas, shooting at some of the big competitions around there and at Ottawa at Connaught. So when I got out of the army, I'm like, I got to keep this going. So I've been shooting the service rifle with the Dominion of Canada Rifle Association matches after that, because that's all I can shoot uh, being a civvy now. And uh, as you mentioned, it's gone pretty good so far. It absolutely. It's gone good. Yeah. And now you returned the love there with the army. You did training prior to that. You trained with them. And for yep. many years, you trained their, their rifle team. And yep, for sure. Yeah, it got to... Yeah, totally. It got to a point where I was not only shooting, but I was also uh, helping train the soldiers from not only 39 Brigade, but even the three division uh, regular force team. I I trained them a a couple of years in a row. Uh, I still get asked every now and again if I can help out and I'd love to help out more than I can. Being with International Barrels now is more than a full-time job and uh, it's difficult for me to get away to do much else uh, because those teams require you know, a couple of weeks of training usually. So I can sort of maybe guide them a little bit, but it's kind of hard to actually be on the range with them. Well, let's talk about international barrels. Okay. So totally intrigued by by the, the whole process here. Now, yep. prior to starting Silver Corps training many years back, I had Silver Corps Gunworks and would dabble around doing firearms repair and maintenance yep. for the general public, armor work for law enforcement, private mm-hmm. security companies. And I got out of that to do the training side, still do the armor stuff for across Canada, but 
seeing a barrel company in Canada making a pretty good name for itself. They were doing uh, all right so far. Yeah, yeah is, uh, <laughs> is exciting. How long has IBI been around for? IBI started about two and a half years ago. I was, uh, I was brought on and they were already sort of up and running and putting together the pieces uh, for about four or five months before I got there, uh, building the equipment and finding the personnel to be able to actually make the barrels. And then uh, they were missing somebody that could talk bore dimensions and, and twist rates and bullet sizes and, and powder charges and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I happened to be free at the time and I talked, uh, <laughs> strangely enough, I, I phoned the boss up and said, Hey, uh, I just left the film industry. So, you know, I'm kind of curious as to whether I can bend your ear about starting a business. And he's like, you left the film industry? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And he's like, okay, I'll see you on Friday and we'll have a meeting. And so I get there and they're like, Hey, we got this barrel company and we need somebody that can be like the front end of it. Are you interested? And I'm like, holy crap, are you serious? That was it. Hired right then and there. I said, yes. Of course, the wife was like, don't say yes to anything until you discuss it with me. And <laughs> I came home, I had this big grin on my face and she's like, you already said yes, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, sorry, but here's the details. So it was a, it was a pretty natural fit, really. When it's the right move, it's the right move. Yeah, for you sure. know it. Yeah, for sure. So sounds like you're wearing a few different hats. Ugh. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been challenging. I do everything basically other than actually creating the barrels. So uh, we have Tim, who is the barrel maker. He deals with all the machinery and the processes of creating the barrels, and he does all the uh, all the measurements and everything that needs to be done. On my side of things, I I'm the face of it, the front end of it. Uh, I deal with all the sales, uh, all the customer support, all the shipping, all the website stuff, uh, all the R&D, all the testing. Uh, so they're like, okay, what should we make? So I'm like, all right, well, here's what's hot right now. Uh, let's get on this. And these are the twist rates and the bore dimensions and all the, all the different stuff. And this is what we need to do. So, so it's the fun stuff. I guess. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's mainly fun. Yeah, you betcha. When I got hired originally, they promised me a lot more shooting, but... Um, oh yeah, you'll be on the range at least one day a week. Eh, not so much. <laughs> you know, that's we're, okay. We were talking about that earlier. Got into silver core mm -hmm. training and silver core gun works because yep. I was interested in firearms. I enjoyed the process of working on them. I en thoroughly enjoy instruction, yep. teaching, relaying that passion over to uh, to others. Yep. And the more you get into the the business side of things, yeah. the less you actually it end does. up doing. It, yeah, it takes away a little bit from from what kind of originally drew you into the, to the whole thing a little bit, but then you're on another angle doing something sort of really cool at the same time too, right? It so is. It just evolves really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a learning process throughout. And yeah. This podcast here is the next iteration, the, yeah. uh, the YouTube channel. This the, is awesome. Uh, hey, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, with IBI, I got a tour of the factory. It's phenomenal. The equipment that you guys have in there is... Yeah, it's uh, pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So from somebody who comes from a quasi-machining background, yep. it's impressive. Yeah. You guys have some uh, some pretty cutting-edge stuff in there to make some quality barrels. Yep. Some of the people coming or listening to this, I'm sure, would say, look, at I, I bought my rifle off the shelf. Why would I want to get a different barrel for it? Well, you can always improve uh, factory not even factory, but any, any type of rifle can always be improved to some degree. The barrel and the ammunition are probably the two main things that will take you sort of that next level accuracy wise. So 
uh, factory barrels can be a little bit hit or miss. You got to remember that these companies are pumping out thousands of rifles at a time. And so speed of uh, production is kind of an important thing as far as keeping the cost down. They may or may not take 100% care in uh, what they do uh, when, they're, when they're chambering and when they're creating the barrel itself because, uh, let's face it, the barrel is the last portion that touches the bullet before it's on its way to its destination. So right. it has to be super good. Uh, otherwise, the results may not be super good. When you get a custom barrel you are putting something on there that has had a lot of care and attention paid to it uh, the way it probably should be to gain that extra little bit of accuracy that you are looking for. Because let's face it, none of us want to shoot inaccurate guns. We all want to shoot accurate guns. Only accurate guns are fun, That's right? right. Yeah. And I know from years back, working on, on rifles, uh, fluting barrels, mm -hmm. cutting, crowning, chambering, yep. taking off factory barrels working on on them there there is a wide discrepancy like sometimes you'll have a barrel that you can almost spin off by hand yeah sometimes that feels like a sumo wrestler with a 12 foot pry bar had had to put, put it, it on, on there and, yeah yeah so having a company that just specializes in in that one particular aspect mm -hmm. i think is uh, quite appealing like people drop a lot of money on an aftermarket stock yep. to change the stock out from the factory stock that came with it. They'll yep. spend a lot of money putting different uh, bolt knobs on yeah, or totally. uh, different firing pins inside. Yep. And you're right. The the barrel, that's the final, the chamber, the final resting place of your ammunition right before it goes bang. Yep. And that whole process, everything that touches that bullet as it leaves, that's... Yep. That's uh, the important part right there. Uh, really all the is. other factors are smaller factors that lead up to helping accuracy, but really the barrel is kind of the last bit uh, before it ends up in the, either the target or the animal. Yes. Well, speaking of that, thank you very much for running out that 6.5 Creedmoor. Oh, yeah. Got a uh, Seiko 85 with a yep. uh, IBI barrel on it. I'll yep. be taking that on a, a couple of hunts this, this fall here and yep. I'll be sighting it in here within the next couple of weeks as yeah, well. I think, I think we should, uh, we should video what happens when you shoot it right out of the, right out of the factory unfired. I'm looking forward to that. We'll get first round on paper, yep. dial that thing in, do some groupings. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to shooting precision rifles. Yep. You're quite used to shooting precision rifles. Yep. I'm very excited to see what this thing can do. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. We've, we've done a couple of videos and I've had lots of results from people just doing their own things on barrels that we rebarreled. Uh, but generally, because we're putting a lot of love into these barrels, they generally tend to group pretty quickly, like within five shots out of the barrel and you, you're seeing stuff that's sub MOA, depending on the, on the gun, of course. I mean, some, some actions are not inherent to high, high accuracy, but that's sake it will be, it'll shoot good. It'll shoot. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. So I remember years ago, I, I reached out to a number of the major barrel manufacturers because I was trying to get to the bottom of some hoodoo voodoo oh, myths yeah. surrounding rifle barrels. Sure. And some manufacturer says, you have to, you have to lap. Others yeah. say you don't. Some say yeah. button rifle, some say cut rifle, some say hammer forge. Everyone seems to have their own little variation on yeah, it. Of course. I know um, button rifling tends to repeatedly produce a nice quality finish yep. and very accurate barrels. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that science has gone and really helped confirm for us. Yep. What are some common myths about barrels or rifle accuracy that you typically hear that you can debunk? Well, I don't know if I can debunk anything, but I can, I can maybe uh, sort of lead people in to make up their own mind about what it is. So there's th three main ways to put rifling into barrels. There's 
cut rifling, which is a single point cutter, which basically cuts out a very small amount of material on each pass. Uh, that one, uh, a lot of people love that. I've shot lots of single point cut barrels, Kriegers, Bartlines, all that. They're, they're awesome. They shoot really, really well. They take longer to make. They believe, well, I guess maybe not believe, but uh, the reality is, is it induces less stress into the blank because you're just uh, scraping out a teeny amount each time. But I think if you look at the cut rifled barrels on a microscopic level, that cutter is actually cutting out steel and leaving a bit of a rough finish on the inside of the barrel, right. which is why they sort of have to be lapped uh, at the end. Button rifling, on the other hand, uh, is basically swaging the steel out of the way as you pull the button through the barrel. So you're pressing steel into other steel. So it does induce a little bit more stress into the steel, but there's lots of high-end companies like Benchmark and ourselves that produce button rifle barrels and that stress that's induced into the steel during the process can be defeated by proper stress relieving in an oven. And or, I, I saw that. I saw that at your you location. You guys have yeah. a, a pretty neat setup. Can yeah. you tell me about the uh, stress relieving? I can tell you a little bit about it. Some of it's secret. Okay. Temperatures and all that kind of stuff and, and times. However, the stress relieving we do gets done twice. So the steel comes from the mill, it's rifle grade steel, and then uh, we cut it and it pretty much goes right into the stress relieving oven uh, at that point. Gets stress relieved over a much longer period than you might think. Uh, the heat up and cool down is more than a couple of days. And then uh, the drilling process and the, all the other processes that go on get done. And then it goes back into the oven and cooked again after the rifling's been put in. And then more processes done to it after that. So we have a, a double stress relieving process, which we feel takes care of any of the stresses that might be induced into the steel uh, via the button rifling process. Well, I've, I've seen some of the targets that have been shot, and I think the proof is in the pudding on that I one. I would like to think so. I mean, man, I've, I've seen some targets that I'm super jealous of that people have shot <laughs> with our barrels, and I'm like, I am clearly not a good group shooter compared to these guys. It's like, holy crap. Amazing. Speaking of being a good group shooter. Yeah. Five. Five national championships. Yeah. You've won. Yep. Five service rifle championships in a row. The DCRA National Service Conditions Championships. Service rifle is not really about shooting groups, though. Right. It's a much different game. It's it's about just making good shots at the right time in a variety of different positions and under different stresses. So, so how many of those... Five have been with an IBI with barrel. our own barrel. Uh, three of the five have Very been. Cool. This year will be number three with an IBI barrel, Very providing cool. a win. But uh, my mental management program says I will. Excellent. Yeah, th the first three I shot with Kriegers, and I mean they shot great, no problem. I set the national record for the highest score ever shot with a Krieger, and then last year I was about one point away from breaking it with my own barrel, uh, which was pretty awesome. But uh, I made a a crappy wind call and it cost me the record <laughs> and my group formed just on the edge of the bull and I had a couple of fours strung out on the side and it all it was was a I missed the the, the flag was hanging on the pole and it was pretty much hanging straight down on one side when I looked up and I thought okay this is good I got a good zero I know what's going on here and I fired my 10 shots and I looked up and the flag was hanging down on the other side of the pole now it wasn't blowing. It was just hanging on the other side of the pole. And I thought, oh, no. Targets came up with the indicators in. Sure enough, my group was on that side of the pole. And that was a 500-meter shoot, right? So uh, It'll make a difference. Yeah. Had I, had I not 
had that wind shift there. I, they, I mean, it was a, it was a decent group for 500 meters with probably five, six inch group. They would all been in the bull, no problem. And I probably would have broke the record, but wow. that's the way she goes in service rifle. Well, you talk about mental management. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge part of the game. It is. And I would have to imagine making a switch from something that's proven <laughs> and works mm. from the Krieger yep. to an IBI. Yeah. How did that work? How, how, talk me through that process All because, right, like, well. because you've got something it's very well proven. Mm. You're going to have to see some very um, yeah. positive results off of something in order to actually sure. make that for sure. Um, to be honest with you, I, I probably wouldn't have switched if I didn't believe 100 percent that uh, that what we were producing would be able to keep up with the Krieger. Uh, you know, when you're kind of on a roll and you've won three national championships in a row and you don't really foresee anybody sort of getting in your way of a few more to make a switch like that to something that uh, basically don't trust, mm -hmm. to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. But because my name's attached to IBI and uh, it's super, super important for me that these barrels shoot just as good as everything else that's out there that's available, we did a ton of testing and I did a ton of shooting myself to make sure that if I say these barrels are going to give you, you know, really excellent accuracy, that they're actually going to do that. And so a lot of the testing I did, <clears throat> pardon me, it was with um, factory ammo. And I didn't shoot them off a rest or strap them into some sort of machine. I shot them off a bipod and a, a rear bag and uh, with factory ammo. So I wanted to make sure that people could actually reproduce those kind of re results themselves. So once that was sort of going with the AR barrels and I was getting the results that I, I wanted, I, I shot them at some local provincial service rifle matches, shot really well, no problems, kept up with my usual scores, providing my mental management was good uh, at the time. And uh, I sort of cut my teeth on them there to make sure that they could keep up. And, uh, once I knew that it was good to go, I had no, I had no qualms about taking it to, to, uh, Ottawa to shoot at the national championship. And so that was one thing that wasn't even really in my mental management program because I fully trusted that, uh, the barrels could, could produce, um, yeah, just no, like the Krieger could. So I'm kidding. Yeah. That whole mental management thing. And it's a little bit of an aside from a few things I wanted to talk about, but mm -hmm. that does intrigue me. Uh, everyone talks about with a lot of activities, a lot of sports, yeah. it's 90% mental and 10% doing yet all of the training around most activities, most sports is going to concentrate on that 10%. Yeah. And I've always found that whole mental side of the, uh, of the picture, if you are confident in your abilities and you know what your end outcome is going to be, I've never found it more black and white than I have in the shooting sports. And yeah. maybe that's just because that's, that's my background is yep. with firearms, but you see right away on the paper or the clay bird or, or yep. whatever it is you're, you're shooting at, yep. if you miss and you're getting down on yourself and you continue to miss, oh, if yeah. you hit and you know, you can hit, yep. you just keep hitting. Yep. Uh, what, yeah. What? Uh, Self-perpetuating kind of thing. Yeah. I, I find that, yeah. It's funny, you know, the, to me, the, the mental management side of it is really kind of, and this is my mental management program speaking, not arrogance. The mental management side of it is uh, what separates me from the rest of the, the guys that shoot service rifle. They're all just as good uh, trigger pullers as me. 
they're all, there's probably even guys that are better trigger pullers than me. But where I excel is in managing my shooting, not actually the shooting portion of it. That's a basic skill that lots of tons of people have, but not a lot of ton, not a lot of people can actually manage their shooting. So for example, in service rifle, you know, we have targets that appear and then disappear. We have rapid fire matches where you're engaging multiple targets in a certain amount of time. You have to start standing. You have to go, you know, prone. You have to run and shoot and the target only appears for a few seconds. And uh, you know, we have a 500 meter rundown match where you shoot two shots at five, four, three, and two. And the final one at two only appears for a few seconds and you got to whack it with two shots. And it's, you know, it's, it's a figure 12 on a stick, which is only what 18 inches wide and 22 tall or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you shoot when the crosshair is on the target. So for me, the, the managing of it, not even managing like the shooting portion now, it's sort of evolved for me into managing how I think about, how I think about managing uh, my own thoughts at a match. Like there's been matches where I've been so far ahead that I probably could have shot or not shot one of the matches and still won. Right. Um, there's been matches where I've been behind and I've managed to come from behind, no problem. A couple of years ago, I had one where... I think it was, what year is it, uh, 2017, where uh, after shooting at two, three, four, and five, so it was like 800 odd points, I was one point ahead of the next guy. The next guy was an awesome shooter, and he was hungry, and I thought, wow, you know, like, honestly, I have never been pretty much tied with somebody. So I know how to manage my thoughts because your mind plays tricks with you, right? Totally it, does. When you're way ahead, you're like, oh, you know, what if I do this? Or, but when you're behind, it, it tells you different stuff. And I dealt with that previously and figured out how to deal with it. But I'd never really been tied with somebody. So going into the, the next stage of that, that shoot, my mind was saying stuff to me that I'd never heard it say before. It's like tied and it was coming out with all these weird things and totally trying to mess me up. So uh, my mentors, as far as the mental management side of things go, uh, are, is Keith Cunningham and Linda Miller, who produced some of the books. Yeah. yeah. So Keith and Linda were uh, coaches of mine the first time I ever went to Bisley with the Canadian Forces team. And that's kind of where I started on this journey of mental management and uh, they really guided me in the right direction and and um, I picked it up uh, well I like to think I picked it up pretty quick and I sort of put it into play and I sort of added a few of my own things as far as my training goes and then uh, so anyways when I was tied I was like I have no idea what how to handle this so I, th I can't remember whether I phoned Linda or I emailed her and said, hey, um, here's the situation. I'm tied and I'm going into the second stage in a day or two. And my mind is, is telling me stuff that I've never heard before. Uh, how do I deal with it? And I, I think I probably already knew the answer, but sometimes you just need somebody that you trust right. uh, to tell you the same thing. Right. And Linda just said, just focus on the performance, you idiot. Right. And I knew that was the answer. And I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, you're right. And so... Blinders on. Yep, just focused on firing good shots. Didn't worry about all the stuff that my mind was telling me or what anybody else was doing. 
I just focused on, uh, on, on, on sending perfect shots downrange into the target. And it was a very interesting match because I saw my close competitor lose his mental management program in the middle of the match because there was a, there was a rapid fire match that we had to shoot. It was 300 meters and it shot on two figure 11s. And they come up for 30 seconds and you have to drop into the prone position and shoot five shots on each with the mag change in the middle of it. And the way the targets are built, uh, there is a stick that goes up the back of the figure 12. The figure 12s are not on a sheet of paper or anything like that. They're simply right. on cardboard and the cardboard is the shape of the target. So if you miss, you're shooting into the dirt, right? It right. doesn't go, it doesn't give you any sort of feel. But that stick in the back has an interesting effect when you hit it. Uh, it makes your bullet ricochet left or right because the, uh, the impact berm in the back is probably 30 to 50 meters behind the target. So you get that ricochet and you can see the ricochet either left or right when you hit that stick. Well, it just so happens the stick runs right over the V-ball on the target. So when I got a ricochet, I knew that I was hammering that V-ball because if you miss a little bit left or right, it just goes through the cardboard and it doesn't ricochet. Right. Well, pretty much every bloody shot I fired on that rapid, I saw a ricochet left or right. So when I finished that match, I thought that's, that's probably, that's going to be like a 50 out of 50 with probably 10 V's out of it, which is about as clean as you can get. And I think I've only ever shot a, a clean score like that, like three or four times Wow! in the entire, I don't think I've ever shot it in Ottawa because of the, the wind is super challenging. Right. So anyways, what happens is, uh, the people that are operating the targets in the butts pull the target down and they put, uh, these orange plugs in it so that you can see your fall of shot. Not only can you see your follow shot, but your competitors can see your follow shot right. as well. So the targets came up and I happened to be watching the guy who was right on my tail and his target came up and I had a look and he had not made a, a perfect wind call and uh, he had some shots that were strung out on the side of the target uh, into the four zone. So he dropped a few more points and then mine came up. And it was a 50 with nine V's. Wow. And there were two clusters of orange pasters dead center in both targets on the, on the thing. And I looked over at him and I saw him scan over to my target and look, and he just, it, arms flew up in the air and I think he swore and, you know, and oh, it was man. at that exact second I knew I had him. I knew I had him. So... There's two things that you brought up and then one of them you said, you know, I don't want to be cocky about this, but this mm -hmm. is my mental management process. It's funny as an observer, and I haven't shot nearly the number of competitions you have I've done a handful here and there, quite enjoy it, but it's always funny to watch the group. Mm -hmm. It's funny because everyone's measuring each other. They yeah. want to see where, where everyone's at. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, there's some posturing and of course. And, you know, psychology 101, they talk about something called the sports illustrated curse and you watch it, you watch these people that come in and they're bragging it up and they're yeah. talking about how, and that's their management process. If they figure through intimidation or positive, very vocal, positive self-speak, they're going to uh, yeah. bring themselves up. The thing I've quite often found is, which is very interesting and unique, particularly in yourself, you're very well accomplished, but you don't see any of that. And I, and I attribute that likely to the Sports Illustrated curse. Because hmm. if you're on the front cover of the Sports Illustrated, 
It's probably because you're at the peak of your game. Yeah, right? most likely. And there's only one place for you to really go, and yeah. that's down. Yeah. If you're coming in and you're telling everyone you're awesome, mm-hmm. there's only really one place for you to go, and that's going to be down. And you've kind of set yourself up for, or a person would have set themselves up for failure. And I've watched it, and I've always admired that because I can okay. see the positive self-speak, but it's never a braggy, arrogant no. tone to it because it would have the negative effect. And I, I think that's pretty interesting. And, and the other thing I thought was interesting, when you talk about putting those blinders on and moving forward, yep. that's very similar in the business world. Mm-hmm. You can be looking around all the time and being defensive. What's the other person doing? Yep. What's what's somebody else saying about me? What, what other barrel manufacturers doing something different? Yep. Or you put in that mental management process, you put those blinders on and say, what do, what do we have to do to be the best? That's right. And you push it forward. And that's really, you know, there, there's a number of things that really wanted me to get you on the show and get IBI on, on here <laughs> because uh, there's, there's so many different aspects of it. Yeah. Your personal background is very interesting. IBI's business story, I find very interesting. It is and, interesting, yeah. And I, I'd like to, uh, I think we'll talk about that more in a future one as well. Yeah, but for sure. It very much, I, I see a very, a synergy, or I hate that word. I, I see a, uh, <laughs> I see a, um, a similarity between your competitive style and IBI. Mm-hmm. And well, maybe I've sort of brought what I use as a mental management program shooting to IBI. It's, it really, you're, you're 100% on the ball there. It is exactly the same in business. My job is simply to make the best stuff that we can. Uh, the rest will take care of itself. So Keith and Linda always told me, your job is just to shoot the best shot you can and the rest will take care of itself. The score will take care of itself. Uh, so that's all I do. People make broad goals about all kinds of stuff when they go to shooting competitions and I always tell them, hey, your goal is way too broad. You need a smaller goal, a manageable goal that you can achieve. Don't go into a competition saying, I'm going to be national champion. Go into the competition and say, I'm going to fire 100 perfect shots and then when that finishes, guess what? You'll be the national champion. Right. So in the business end of it, of course, my goal was not to make the best barrel ever. My goal was just to have one of the best processes in making the barrel. And then in the end, you get all the results that we're getting now. You get guys sending me groups that I could never bloody shoot. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that's, the, that's how it works. Well, let me ask you, because I, I know what... We're, we're going to be, we're going to be talking more on future podcasts, uh, but a few different things. There's a lot of things I want to talk about, but in the interest yep. of the listener's time, yep. uh, keep it within a, uh, and a manageable spectrum here. For sure. Is there anything that I should be bringing up or anything you'd like to bring up about IBI or the, the firearms business industry? I mean, two years, two years into IBI, you're still kind of just, just starting to get your stride. I think I have to thank a lot of the, uh, people that have, have tried our barrels and, and taken the chance with us. And what I need people to know is that us as a company, we're going to do the best to make the best barrels in Canada that, that can possibly be made. We're not building barrels in our basement. We have millions of dollars worth of equipment. Uh, we have guys that care about the process. All the guys that are chambering, the guys that run the buttons, the guy that runs the hone, they're all shooters. So they care about how these barrels end up in the consumer's hands and what the consumer can actually do with it, right? It's not like we're just pumping out a bunch of schlock. Um, right. 
each barrel that goes out of here, you should see the pile of barrels that didn't make the cut. You know, something went funky in the steel or there was a, some sort of a weird thing going on in there. Our guys catch every one. And uh, when they do, that barrel gets put aside. It doesn't doesn't get sold to the consumer. So I want to thank people for taking the chance, but I also want you to know that we're going to give you the best barrel that we possibly can. And I'm going to get it to you in a reasonable amount of time. And I'm going to get it to you for a reasonable price. And it's going to shoot exactly the way that you hope that it shoots. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you being on on the podcast here. This oh, is, no worries. Uh, this is uh, definitely a ton of fun. Yeah, it's pretty good. I would, uh, I would like to do more of these. And that concludes another episode of the Silver Core Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.